Maloilei, Talo Falaba, Gelrana, and Fakalo Flyatu. I'm Benji Timu, and welcome to the Panthers Podcast. Each episode, we tell and all with those involved in creating the Panthers TV series, their inspiration, the Polynesian Panther Party, and how the movement affects our lives now. Maloilei, and Fakalo Flyatu. Welcome to episode 6 of the Panthers Podcast. On the couch today, we have Choice Vaughan producer of the Panthers album soundtrack, musical artist Diggy Duke, plus renowned composer Jonathan Crayford. My Lord is so full and warm for greetings. Welcome to uh, the Panthers TV series podcast. We have producer of the Panthers soundtrack, Choice Warm, musical composer Jonathan Crayford, and also our artist Diggy Duke. Um, how's everyone this afternoon? Good, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, are you guys still sort of riding that wave at the moment or has it kind of settled? The minute that it gets released, your work mm. on it is over and you've already been working on it for months already. And so your, your whole experience is like the, the flip side of the coin of, of people who are watching it, I suppose. Although the album was released months ago in that time, it's, you know, become a classic for me personally, yeah. And there's also, like, the, the extra dimension in the album, too, you know, with the inclusion of, actually, you know, some of the daughters and the sons of the Panthers, like Lady Six, Shefu, which is, you know, pretty gangster. And when you look down the list of the artists as well, it's like, holy heck, this is like the meanest combination, the collaboration of um, Pacific artists um, in Aotearoa. So, like, from afar, it seems like the soundtrack created the whole show. You know, because every time you hear that Welcome to CEA, it's like, oh yeah, it's another episode. Um, especially with that, you're like, oh, kind of remind me of the 70s a bit. Are you guys able just to take us back to the early developments of the album, like even way before Diggy jumped on as a main singer? Like, you know, another question is like, how did you guys even choose Diggy? Um, and I know he's a Central Auckland native, so that's probably plays a big part in that. Maybe I'll start with either you, Choice, or... Um, yeah, yeah, Jolie. Yeah, I think I was the one that was brought on before Joe Craig, uh, and definitely before Diggy. Tom and Noah, who are the two producers of the show, approached me and let me know the idea that they had to have music be such an uh, important part of the show, not just in laying the backdrop of it, but being upfront, almost like another character. And like in New Zealand, I don't think I've ever seen that the way that we did it before. And some, like, gun shows overseas have started to do it and have done it quite well. But that excited me, like, off the jump, and especially just with the co-pop of, of the story that we were telling. So I was, like, quite humbled to be approached at that early stage. Um, and we started talking about how it was actually all going to work. And the music that the Panthers listened to at the time, I'm told, was a lot of, um, like, Jimi Hendrix-type stuff. So we wanted to have elements of that be part of, of what we were going to do and then also blend that with kind of a more modern take on it. And I think that's why they approached me is because a lot of my past work has been heavily sample-based where I'm taking from these um, tracks from the 60s, 70s and 80s, flipping them into something that's like uh, a little bit more contemporary. And that was quite a cool position to be in, knowing that we were going to do it for our story. And so we started to think of, okay, well, who, who can we get that would be able to have the, the 70s element of it? So we were thinking, and Troy was a name that popped up, Troy Kingy, and he just released 
What was he'd had his Zygotron album, and that was the one that I gravitated towards the most. And then he had his Ghost of Freddy Caesar album that he dropped, and both of those were like perfect for that 70s vibe. You know, like Troy's an amazing musician, he's one of my favorites. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's get him involved. He's got a you know, his band that he can lean on, and they can do those period specific type tracks, like, uh, you know, Welcome to CA, the intro check. And then they were like, okay, now we've got like the, the bass music like the source music and then you've got the person who's going to flip it which was me how can we get our main narrative character involved and who is that the the rapper and as soon as they asked me there's only one guy for the job but he wasn't available so we got diggy (laughs) 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 it was diggy diggy ca through and through and me and diggy have worked together not too long ago in one of my projects and i'm just a massive fan of him as well so I sent uh, Tom and Lewis some demos of Diggy's work. They really like them. Maybe Diggy, you can take it from there with. Um, yeah. You called me, and then you gave me the whole rundown about it, and I was like, fuck, man, I hope I hope I can crack this. Because if I could, I, I, I could, like, like it, it's more than the monetary thing, or, like, you know, or even just having a good platform for my name to be out there, it was more for me just doing it for Ponsonby and doing it for Central and stuff. So it was it was more sentimental. That was the factor behind me getting like really involved and stuff. So yeah, and then um, Tom Tom chopped it up. Uh, I went over to SPP and just had a little quick like you know a little get together meet and greet and just see where they're at. This was before I even like said or do anything. Um, I think they just wanted me to try and suss me out and see if like take on the job because it is a pretty big like task, eh, to put on your shoulders. I chopped it up with Noah and I was just like, bro, just tell me what to write about and I'll do it. Bullshit aside, you didn't have to like just say it straight. Like, what do you want with certain songs and stuff? And I'll go ahead and I'll give it my best shot. And that's pretty much how we've been working, eh? Yeah, and then like once we had Troy, me, and Diggy locked in, I think it was at that point where they locked in Jonathan, and that was like our super group. But how, Jonathan, how did that work with Tom reaching out to you? I think Tom had considered someone else before me, and I had previously worked with Tom on another soundtrack for another film that was um, called Pork Pie a couple of years ago. The difference with this is that Tom's got, I don't know, personally, but I know just from knowing him and working with him, but he's obviously got a deep interest in music and he's got some experience in it. And, I, and his brother's a musician and he's obviously spent a lot of time with musicians and he's very aware of how people put music together and what sort of feelings and techniques are involved in that. And it was pretty obvious that Tom wanted to put the whole series together already with Diggy and Jolie and Troy with a really layered strata of people who were going to interact more or less with each other. I mostly interacted with Jolie, but to create a really layered soundtrack that felt like it had grown out from the inside of the project itself. And I think that's what Tom brought to it, from my point of view anyway, because I mostly worked with Tom. But um, So yeah, Tom just called me up and he said basically that, and said, do you want to do it? And I, of course, I said yes. And that's really great because normally when you work on a, a film, especially if it's more along traditional lines of you either 
you might have tracks or songs written for it, or you might license pre-existing tracks or songs. And then you have a composer who kind of fills in the gaps and whatnot. And sometimes it's a bit boring being that composer because you just get to do the unfun stuff while the tracks get to be the track, you know what I mean? But this wasn't like that. It was a very dynamic and integrated way of working with everybody. And actually, we pulled quite a few things apart in the mix by the end of it. A lot of it came together right at the last minute when we were doing the music pre-mixes, eh, Jolie? Like, we often suddenly had to come up with a solution for things we hadn't even thought about. Yeah, it kind of morphed. The music for the show came first, and there were particular tracks that were outlined in each episode that were, I guess, hero tracks that Diggy was going to be on screen performing or Troy. So those were the ones that we had demos for first. You know, we got recordings completed for those. And then there was all of these other demos that were written on my end and things that Jonathan had been working on on his end that were then picked and chosen to slot in for the score. And like like JC was saying, like we had these, they felt like mammoth sessions. They were real long. We were watching through these episodes and pulling apart each scene and playing with different ideas and different demos that we had and going away and remixing them and all sorts of stuff. And this was all before we'd given thought to how we were going to pull some of the stronger tracks of those into the album that was going to be released as a companion to the series. Always with that in the back of our heads, though, that we would at some point get there. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm getting a little bit panicked because we've only got a short time frame if we want to drop an album we haven't really approached any of these featured artists the show at that point was the priority because that was what you know it was our priority that was why we were brought on so it was a bit of a mad rush by the time it got to okay the show stuff is locked now let's, let's get the album together who do we want to put on the album what tracks are going to go on the album like we had a whole bunch of demos we had to pick the ones that we wanted and brainstorm the, the people that would be good fits for them the people that we would like to have on there, the people that should be on there because, you know, they, they have proper pockets of the Kopapa or we paint the Cubs themselves, making sure that we had the OGs involved as well as some of our favourite up-and-comers. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mad rush towards the end of it. Um, and, like, from sort of what I understand from sort of researching um, the interviews of, of the soundtrack, the I believe the intention was for the album to be timeless, right? Because the genre sort of spanned across so many different um, generations. So, you know, like the Panthers was 50 years ago and within 50 years, you know, so many different genres has, has kind of become popular and sort of died out. And so, you know, in terms of like telling the stories of our Matua um, or the OG Panthers, what kind of input did the Panthers have in the writing or, you know, did they have input in the actual tracks, you know, the score? Did they have any? We made sure, like, when we were getting to the album stage, that we reached out to as many of the Panther Cubs that were musical, because they are a lot, as we could, because it's kind of theirs. You know, this, we're kind of visiting this, me and JC, more so than Diggy, because Diggy grew up there, but even then, like, the closer you get to the actual Panthers, in terms of the of the, I feel anyway, the more of a right you have to be a part of this or choose to define it. So the only issue we had with that was the time frame that we had, and it didn't line up. 
of uh, schedules of some of the people that we reached out to that would have been amazing to be a part of the record, even if they wanted to do it. It just didn't work for some of them. But we were really lucky to have Shay, Shay Fu, he came on board, and it was cool to, to work on the track with him and have his involvement. Caps, again, you know, like another OG, having him on board, I think, gave it that gravitas that it needed to have. In the score, we worked really closely, me and JC, with Tom. And like JC said, Tom, he had the, the deep connections with all of the Panthers members and was able to relay things back and forth and also kind of filter that with his vision for each scene should feel like and sound like. And so for myself, I was given a lot of references for certain scenes. Like, I'd ask, I'd be like, okay, so we've got a scene where the guy's getting locked up. What songs come to mind? What sort of energy do you want? And so he was able to send me a couple of references and I'm like, okay, cool, so I'll go away and I'll make something with that same energy and try and have it translate. So Tom, Tom was the main conduit, I think. Um, he was like the puppet master behind everything, sort of um, making sure that we were all aligned. Yeah, that, that was kind of what I got from my end. There is a real difference between the two different jobs of putting together the soundtrack to accompany and be with the series as film music and then putting it together as being a, a soundtrack album that encompasses the kaupapa of what the film was. And they're two totally separate tasks you've got to do that have different results. And I wasn't involved in the soundtrack album, which came a bit after we'd finished the series. I was mostly involved in the series. And what you do there, the decisions you make then have to be brutal. They're not necessarily even good musical decisions. They just, it has to match the picture mm. and, and that's it. And uh, you might have to throw that thing out. That was, that was in your mind, the very most beautiful part of the track, but it didn't go with the gun or something like that, right? So the, all your decisions when you make film music or dramatic music are totally different than when you, when you attend to just music as itself, although that his album is representing the series, so they are, they are really intimately related, but they are two different sides of the same coin. So what went into the film isn't necessarily what went into the soundtrack. Yeah, that's interesting because of the different kind of sounds. Like there wasn't a really distinct genre that I could sort of pick out besides you know the rapping and stuff. Um, was the intention to sort of diversify the album in that sense? You know, I get this like 70s vibe, you know, with the, you know, for example, the Welcome to CEO, that intro, and then you've got this like rapping component to it, which is like super 90s. There's so many different components of the different decades that you can sort of pull from to create this album. And, you know, I just want to take this opportunity to say like, um, congratulations on such a great album, because I think it is. Um, and, you know, I listen to it all the time. So, like, yeah, I guess the question is, like, was that the intention? Um, or did you have, like, a vision before it where you're like, okay, it's going to kind of sound like this? Or, you know, did it even match what you were thinking prior to actually creating the album? I think the, the funny thing that we had was knowing that certain bits of music were going to be tied to particular scenes. And then those scenes, we're going to have this emotion attached to it from the first time people would have seen it and where it fits in with the story. And I think for us, that kind of guided a little bit of the themes that we tried to convey when 
we pulled those snippets out and fleshed them into full songs for the album. And lyrically, I guess that, I mean, maybe Dickie's probably the one to ask on that, but I think if we didn't have that basis, we'd kind of be a little bit lost, and maybe that was what really helped us in having it seem so cohesive, is because we did have this foundation of, okay, these, these tracks are going to appear in, in the actual show, and this is when they appear, this is the character that's on screen, and this is who that character is, and the energy behind it, so how can we tell a bit of a story on that, how can we elaborate more on what that is about? So there, there are like, ties between the two, even though, like what Jason was saying, there are very different approaches to them. Are you able to talk us through that, Diggy? Like, you know, what was your sort of processes writing the lyrics? Did you know exactly where the music was going to go prior to writing it? Definitely. Um, first of all, I had to write for the show. True. So that was, that was the um, first priority. And it was like writing for those certain scenes. So I got the, um, I got the script from Noah and Tom, and um, they put in like reference tracks that they wanted, which were, were just like lyrics from certain songs, just like how Joel would have got references for moods. So they gave me lyrics to try and, you know, um, uh, like to give me some kind of path to head down, and then I'll write for that. And then once all the once all those um film so they were only just like a verse or maybe just like a hook or an idea. And then after all the filming was done, then we had to go on to the next problem which was how do we turn them into proper songs, you know? Yeah. And, and and how to make it all flow and kinda seem coherent. Because you can go from scene like episode to episode could be completely different. You know, and there's, and there's all these different types of um. So every verse that I did for the um for the series had a different feel, yeah. and I was like, none of them were actually like you had the the bow the bar scene the which is kind of like introduction, and then you had the second episode which was just straight activism and all that like you know, in the chair. They're real powerful, like spoken wordy type stuff. And then you had like the up tempo jazzy one when they're in the police car and and it's all like paranoia going on. So those three alone are like completely different. How do we make it kind of easy, easy to listen for listeners to listen to back uh, front to back, just instead of like shuffle, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that that was like. That was quite um, interesting because it's the first time writing like that, like writing for a show and then turning it into like proper songs and stuff. Ulu Up is probably one of my favorite tracks and it's my favorite track only because I grew up in GI and I sort of oh, grew up around... Oh, 79 Cherry! <laughs> 79 Cherry, yo! And I um, grew up on the same road as the um, Headhunters president at the time. And, yep. you know, everyone Ulu's up, heads up. Well, if you know that stuff, you know, like obviously you're from GI, so that's all you hear is like flame up all the way. Also, why I used that is because um, Noah had in, in place for my lyrics at the time on the script was um, he wanted Tupac, keep your head up. He gave me that vibe slash Nas um, One Love. 
So that's what I based the verse on. And then I was just like, man, that keep your head up, you know, like that's so strong in, in Park song. And I just had to flip it to make it like more Polynesian. So I just did all the work. And, it, and it's it's actually like so catchy. Eh? So yeah, like that's how that stemmed, like that little hook. So I had my two-year-old son at the time singing that hook. It was so, because he would like sit on my chair with me as I was making the beat and mixing it and stuff. And yeah. he'd always, he'd call it the A song because at the start of the song thing, he goes, hey, so much something like, A song, A song, A song. I like that one too. Yeah, yeah bro. And it's, it's like so fitting that Rizvan is on it too because, bro, his verse, bro, I like cry on that shit. He had a third verse, which was that initial verse that he wrote for it. I don't know if it's ever going to come out, but it's mean. Like, it's so good. And um, then then he heard the direction. I, I think, for some reason, he decided to change it to make it a little bit more consistent with Diggy's. Um, but, yeah, he wrote two to that, and we almost had it, his third one at the end of it going on. And that would have been a mean way to, to end that song for an extended version. But, yeah, he did his thing on that one. I was just laughing because, um, you know, like, if we look at the historical context of Panthers, you know, it's uh, it's known to be KC's territory, yeah. Is that right, Biggie? Central Auckland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like, I have to chuck in a lot of um, references and so that. True, like, what other references? There's heaps of little references to Greyland, especially in that Welcome to CA one. So, um... Moldy lady with the cats. If you ever on Sony, you'll see this lady. She's like been protesting for about like 30, 40 years. And she um, just stands outside St. Joe's and she like feeds all these cats. And she's got this like riding. And she just stands there. Like it'll be like nine in the morning or nine o'clock at night. I try to reference as many um, local things as possible. Just so it's kind of um, Easter eggs for people that do know. And if you don't know and you find out, it's kind of like, it's a little something extra for you. Was there any other songs that you'd like to share the creative processes to? I know that there's definitely stories behind every single song. Maybe you, Jonathan? I don't know what version ended up on the album, because I actually I haven't heard the album yet. Yeah, isn't it strange? But that's what I was saying before. Like My <laughs> involvement was on the flip side of that coin, not the not the other ones. But um, i got to say, I really enjoyed working with Jolie on um, Lulu's theme which ended up underscored. Did that make it onto the album at all, Jolie? Yeah. That, um, I think that one we tuned into Before the Dawn, that's the one that Shafu's on. Right on. That's the funny thing about it all, because we had working titles for the songs when they were in the show relating to what was happening on screen. Right. So Lulu was a character, and I've been given a brief way. I need something upbeat to make for when Lulu first appears, so I'm like, I'm going to call it Lulu's thing. This one, right? <laughs> So that that was done for the show, and then me and and Jonathan worked on it quite a bit to get it where it needed to be to match what was happening on screen, and it was like quite a different version to what ended up being on the album when we got Shay on. What was interesting about that was as we got into the episodes, there seemed to be this kind of thing evolved with the music where you get about the last fifth or sixth or tenth of the way through the episode 
and it would almost hand over to one single track to take you to the end of the episode, which would kind of be three minutes. And there were a few episodes where that happened. And it was always kind of magical. And it was usually either I did most of the work on it or Jolie did most of the work on it or it sort of flipped around to depending on who was game enough to accept that particular job. But it kind of happened as a natural process. But when that one came up, was that the last episode or the second to last episode? I think it was the second to last episode. Anyway, it's a beautiful feel that Jolie set up already on the basis of another tune, right, Jolie, that you had already referenced to make that. Yeah, well, they, um, I can't remember who it was, but there was a whole soul track that had the same, a similar progression. Yeah, um, and it, was, it spoke so well. And so then I was kind of into it. So, so Tom said, well, why don't you score that last scene? And so I just dived into that little piece that Jolie had put together and I ripped it apart and I opened it out and put some other little groovy sections in it and so that it would match the long sequences of the film because as it was, it didn't quite match. It ran out partway through and that sort of thing. So then I just kind of jumped on that and I mapped out a version that I built in my studio here. And then I took those tracks, I gave those tracks back to Jolie and then Jolie did his own version of what I'd just done but already after having what I'd done to what he already did in the first place. So it kind of went back and forth like that. And then when we got into the mix, we sort of recombined everything all over again. And it didn't really come alive until the mix. And just so you know, um, the mix I'm talking about is what you call the musical music premix, is when you get all the music elements together and enough of the foley and the other sound dialogue and all the other parts, components of the soundtrack that are just sound. And you put it all together so you know and you just only focus on what the music part of it is and you get all that working properly. Then after that, it's going to be mixed in the final mix and balanced with the dialogue and the atmosphere and the foley and all of that sort of stuff. So Jolie and I had a really big job to do actually most of what we did that made the set the music well in the series was we made editorial decisions in the mix. That wasn't just Jolie and I. And if we couldn't come up with an answer then, well, one of, we, one of us or both of us went home and reworked something and then delivered a few, a few days later. So that's kind of how the episodes got put together. But the Lulu thing, which I, I don't know what it's ended up calling again on the Panthers album, to me that was my favourite part of that whole collaborative process because mm. such a beautiful piece of music, but um, it just kind of it gave us all a shot, which was great. It was definitely memorable. I mean, once you played that, that first um, you know, tune, I was like, it, I know exactly what, it, what music you're talking about. It, it underscores the reverse raids, like when the Panthers went and raided the house of the MPs. That underscores that whole scene. Mm. Ah, solid. Um, last question, is there anything that you guys are working on at the moment that you guys like to share in terms of, you know, writing scores for other films or, you know, what's what's everyone's next projects at the moment without disclosing too much, I suppose? Start with you, Diggy. Man, I've just been in this lockdown buzz, so I've been trying to um, wake up every day and write music. kind of made a discipline now, so... I've just been working on that and um, getting ready for summer. Um, I'll be on a summer run, chilling. You know what I mean? Um, what about you fellas? Anything coming up for summer? Well, Joe Cray's teaching me piano. He's my piano teacher now. So <laughs> I'm going to be a good choice. So no time. I'm just <laughs> steady making beats, man. 
I think next year I'm going to try and put out a BTEC a month just to get back into that. Wow. Um, I was supposed to do it this year, but Panthers got a lot more busy than what I anticipated it to be. Like initially it was 10 tracks that I was contracted to make and then it morphed into, uh, I felt like we made 50 and composed it and then made the album and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, got pretty big. Just being creative, staying creative, yeah. releasing stuff. I'll be looking forward to playing some gigs again. It's been a long time. Mm. Some, do, doing some, a lot of stuff was cancelled because of lockdown. You miss people, miss playing with people. So it's great composing and stuff, but it's really good, nice to get out and play. I just want to take this opportunity to thank um, all of you guys for coming on and taking an hour out of your busy day just to discuss, um, you know, the soundtrack. Um, again, we have the producer of the Panthers soundtrack, Choice Vaughan, also musical composer, Jonathan Crawford, and obviously the artist, Diggy Do. And, you know, thank you so much. Thank you, Benji. Ciao, Benji. Ciao, Benji. And thank you for tuning in to the Panthers podcast. Make sure you check out our other episodes. I'm your host, Benji Timu. Power to the people.